This is Revive Chicago. Listen and be changed. We'll get into the message here. Today, um, no surprise, I'm going to talk about water baptism. I hope you're all expecting that. My notes aren't pulling up. But as we talk about water baptism, there's several different things that we need to be aware of. And I think it's just good. I, I like to give cultural background, historical background, and like, why do I have to get dunked underwater? Type, like, explain this to me like I'm five, you know, one of those talks. And so when it comes to water baptism, it's interesting because in, in Scripture, there's several different Scriptures about it in the New Testament. And the, the very beginning of the Gospels, it talks about a guy named John the Baptist. Anybody ever heard of John the Baptist? Yeah, most of y'all. <laughs> and John the Baptist actually baptized Jesus. And what I love about this is most of us, when we think about baptism, like we have in mind our sins and the things that we want to be forgiven of. And that's a huge part of it. But I also know and believe that Jesus never sinned. And if Jesus never sinned, and baptism is only about forgiveness of sins, why did Jesus get baptized? And so we make it kind of single-sided, single-faceted, and we say that the only reason to get baptized is to get washed clean from your sins. And Jesus got baptized to demonstrate what it looks like to step into the kingdom of God and to lay down your life and come out new. He was actually foreshadowing his death, burial, and resurrection. And so when it comes to baptism, baptism is a picture of our future life in Christ. Our future life in the kingdom of God. Because when you go down in the water, you're going down and it's like you're being buried, right? You're being buried by the water. And you're getting, you're getting pulled back out and you come back out and you're just like you're being raised to life. And it's a picture of the new life, the clean life. And you leave your old self behind. You leave your old ways behind. You leave the sin behind in the water. And it's this beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us on our behalf. And so the biggest thing that we're doing is following our big brother, Jesus. We're following in his footsteps. He set the precedent. And so we get baptized because he got baptized and he showed us this is how you do it. We kind of live in this Christianity where there's several different denominations and belief systems and some people grew up Catholic and some people grew up Methodist and some people grew up Lutheran and some people grew up and they've never been to church before. And so my guess is that some of you in this room have already been baptized before. Maybe you were baptized as an infant and that's what your belief system entailed at the time. And the Bible doesn't say only get baptized once. Okay. And we, modern religion has kind of made it feel like that. So you can, you can only get baptized one time. It's like, what, I mean, was Jesus going to send you to hell for getting baptized twice? Like, that'd be kind of weird. Like, hey, I'm just trying to do extra, right? There's double portion or something, you know? <laughs> like, why, why can't I get baptized again, right? Like, let's, let's go after this. But um, there's no doctrine that says you only need to get baptized one time. But because of the nature of water baptism, and Jesus only got baptized one time, 
right? He's setting a precedent. He's saying, this is how you do it. Okay, so generally you get baptized once, but if you've been baptized with another group, with another denomination, if you got baptized and then walked away from the Lord and you're coming back, there's a lot of good reasons to get baptized again. And one of the, one of the good analogies would be like um, in, in a marriage. You find that sometimes when people have been married for 15 or 20 years and they do a new ceremony and they renew their vows. How many of you have ever seen somebody who got together and they renewed their vows? That's kind of like uh, a good picture of what getting baptized again might look like. So I'm not expecting, you know, we'll do baptismal services probably at least twice a year here because I'm expecting more and more people to give their lives to Jesus and, and need it. But this isn't something where you need to get baptized every you know, twice a year or something. Okay. We're not starting a new religion. I'm not starting a cult or a new religion. We're like, we get baptized twice a year. We're more Christian, (laughs) right? Like that's not what we're doing. But uh, some of you might want to get baptized again today, even though you got baptized as a child or as an infant, because you're, you're showing that you want, you want to give your life to Jesus again. It's like a renewed confession. It's like uh, renewed vows, just like we were talking about with the marriage. And so you might, that might be something that you're pursuing. You're saying, no, my life is yours, Jesus. I'm giving it back to you. I'm pursuing you. And I'm making a public profession as an adult at this stage in my life. And I'm declaring that my life is yours going forward. One of the other aspects of baptism is that um, it's considered a public profession of your faith. So before I close like my sermon today, we're actually going to pray a prayer. And whether you've given your life to Jesus before or, uh, or you haven't, I want us all to just pray this prayer together. And then when we go out there, I'm going to accept that as your public profession. And then uh, I'll baptize each of you. And I believe that people who get baptized are people who have accepted Jesus and made him their Lord. People who have accepted Jesus and made him their Lord. This isn't just for anybody, okay? Like, baptism is for anybody, but anybody who's given their life to Jesus. Does that make sense? That's the qualifier. The qualifier is you give your life to Jesus, then you get baptized. If you're still thinking about it or you're like, I'm not really sure I want him Lord in my life. Well, then maybe baptism isn't for you yet. Maybe you need to wait until you're ready to do that. But baptism is what's called a public profession of your faith. And it's, again, this is kind of changed a little bit in modern times because it's become either uh, very traditional and you do it as a child or a baby. Uh, maybe you get christened and in some denominations, you know, they kind of just do the sprinkle thing. And just to warn you, we're full dunkers. So you're going to, you're going to get wet. Uh, but with, with baptism, you are declaring a change in stat. Like, this is my conviction now. This is my confession. Jesus is my Lord. I'm part of a new kingdom. I'm part of a new group. I'm joining the family of Jesus. And in America, like, nobody's going to really get persecuted. You know, like, maybe some of you in this room, you've got a family member who doesn't like that you're getting baptized here today. I don't know what you're going through or what you're facing. You might have a little bit like they wish you would get baptized in their church or something like that. But generally, there's not any persecution. But if you go today, if you go over to Pakistan and you get baptized, you're risking death. Because of the state of their religion there and how strong, how much of a stronghold Islam and Hinduism have there. 
So when you when you step when you step in, it's, it's considered for them. That's considered the conversion moment. And when these other religions say you're leaving Islam and you're getting baptized as a Christian, you're getting a mark on your head. That's different. Like I can't I can't even quite comprehend that. Like I feel really safe. You know, most of like we're not risking our lives to do this, to participate in this. But there's a lot of Christians throughout history and who are alive still today who baptism, like we are about to do it, is actually taking on a life risk. That's how strongly they believe in Jesus as their Lord. And they're saying, I'm willing to accept this persecution. I'm willing to accept accept possible death to get dunked into this water and come out because I believe so strongly, so firmly in this. And it's interesting too, because baptism is today, like it's it's almost exclusively a religious term. But the Greek word for baptism back in Jesus' day literally meant like to dunk or to dip in water. Like that was just what the word meant. Anybody would use it. It's kind of like, uh, if we were talking and uh, we were doing dishes or something and you dunked the cup into the water, like the word that they would have used at the time would have been baptismo, however you pronounce it in the actual Greek, but that's the letters. <laughs> and they would just bap- baptize the dishes to clean them and then put them on the counter because they all had modern setups and kitchens. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like they the word that they used was like an everyday word. And today now it has become a religious term exclusively. But this is where like some people, maybe some of you in this room have questions like, well, why, why do I have to get fully immersed? Or why don't we just sprinkle? And why does this denomination do this and this denomination do that? And there's a number of different historical reasons. Uh, one of them was that at different time periods, Part of the reason why I think that sprinkling came into play is because they had a severe lack of clean water at times. And they could, they just could not dunk people. And so they just gave, like, they, well, we'll at least sprinkle you and you'll be baptized because that's the amount of water we got, right? And so they believed so strongly in baptism that that was how some of that tradition may have started. But there's a lot of different reasons and there's a lot of different traditions. But what we're trying to do and what we're trying to copy is what the scripture actually says and talks about. And the words, the words translated mean to dip, to dunk, to submerge. That's what baptism means. So that's why we're going to go fully under. <laughs> All right. And um, finally, I'd like you to turn with me in scripture. So I've kind of been giving you a little bit of overview history of baptism and what it means a little bit, but I haven't read any scripture yet. And so I've got a story that I'd like us all to evaluate together, and it's the book of Acts, chapter 8. Acts, chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 26. And it's called, the, the, it's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian treasurer. And it says, now an angel of the Lord told Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch on an important an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone down to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So there's a lot happening here. I probably don't have time to explain all of it. But um, 
I always like to explain some. This is this is interesting to me. There's so much happening, but an Ethiopian traveling all the way to Jerusalem to worship is pretty awesome. So this guy is what would have been considered a God-fearer Gentile. And so in uh, Judaism, there were people who were non-Jews who were allowed to come and worship, and they had to go through a process of conversion, and they were what was called a proselyte or a God-fearer, and they were allowed to participate in Judaism and serve Yahweh. And so this guy traveled really far from Ethiopia to Israel just to worship, which is just amazing to me, okay? And he's a very important official, and it says as much, but like, I think we kind of don't realize the the status of the day. So um, most people in this time period walked everywhere. If you were moderately wealthy, you had like, a donkey or a mule or a horse or something like that. And then if you had a chariot, this was like the Maserati of the day. Like you were very, very well off. So this wasn't just, he's, he's not wealthy just because he's kind of related to the queen of Ethiopia, like uh, not related in, in kin, but just like he's serving her. He's wealthy in his own right. He's a, considered a very important official. Okay for the Ethiopians, and yet he's also a God-fearer. And it's likely that the chariot is moving. So that's why it says the Spirit told him to go to the chariot, chariot and stay near it. It's likely he's sitting there reading in his chariot, and the chariot's just moving slowly along, almost like a carriage. Like We usually think of a chariot solely for the use and purpose of war, and they're like going super fast or something, but he's likely just trotting along, and he's with a caravan heading back to Ethiopia. So the Holy Spirit tells Philip to go and stay near the chariot. And so it says, verse 30, Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And this is also just an interesting historical anecdote, but like in this time period, nobody read silently to themselves. They hadn't really, that that hadn't developed. Those who were literate, always tended to read out loud. So he's just in his chariot, and he's reading the book of Isaiah, but he's reading it out loud. And Philip asks, do you understand what you are reading? How many of you, when you're reading your Bible, you would love to be asked this question? Like, no, I don't understand at all. What is this about? Please tell me. (laughs) And you feel like, Trying to read your Bible sometimes is a struggle. You feel like you're trying to plow through it. You're trying to, and you feel like there's nobody to explain it to you. Well, first off, I would just want to say that's why you have a pastor. If you don't understand it, if you're reading something, please tell me, text me, screenshot the passage. I don't care. Like, I'd love to talk about the scripture and maybe help explain it to you. So uh, I'll be your Philip. <laughs> uh, just don't go riding off in a chariot because I'm not going to be able to keep up. But Philip walks up and he says, do you understand what you are reading? And and the guy responds, he's like, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? So he invites Philip up into the chariot to sit with him. And remember, this we've got this image of like a chariot being a chariot of war, but you have to picture this more as almost like a carriage. So he probably had like a bodyguard or two in there, and then there's still enough room for Philip to come in and just sit. And so they're just trotting down the road. 
reading the book of Isaiah out loud. And verse 32, he was reading this passage of scripture. Quote, he was led like a, like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? This is a great question. As you're, like, as you're reading in your own Bible, ask yourself this question. Who's being talked about? The prophet himself? Someone else? If it's someone else, who is it? And that's one of the keys to understanding the passage. So if you're reading your Bible and you're having trouble understanding it, use this as a tool. Use this question as a tool to help you decipher. And if you still can't come up with an answer, that's where I come in. <laughs> okay, so then it says, verse 35, Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. The good news about Jesus. And so this passage from the book of Isaiah is actually Isaiah chapter 53. And the whole passage is talking about Jesus and how Jesus laid down his life. Like that's literally, it's a prophecy about what Jesus was going to come and do. Except Isaiah wrote this 700 years before Jesus was born. That's awesome. I'm happy if I prophesy something like two months in advance. <laughs> like Isaiah was on a whole other level. <laughs> this guy was prophesying stuff 700 years in advance and predicting the coming Messiah and what he was going to come and do. But part of the prophecy is also showing us how to recognize the Messiah. The Messiah will come. And he's not going to conquer the way you think he's going to conquer. He's going to come and he's going to lay down his life. He's not going to stand up for himself. He's not going to try and defend himself. He's going to lay down his life like a sheep getting ready for slaughter. And we just got done singing today about how the worthy is the lamb. Why? Because he laid down his life just like a lamb. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch looked and said, hey, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And so he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And this is the question I want to ask you today. Because some of you have maybe gave your life to the Lord really recently. And you're like, I don't know if I'm quite ready for this baptism thing. Or you've got questions in your mind. But all of those questions should come to a stop when you ask this one. Look, there's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Why shouldn't I be baptized? And you know what? I think that's the question the Lord is asking you today. Why shouldn't you be baptized? What's stopping you? What's hindering you from being baptized today? We've got some water out there. It's available. You're going to watch a bunch of other people get dunked under. It's available. The opportunity is right here for you to be baptized. And just like this Ethiopian, the question is today, why shouldn't you be baptized? And there's probably not a good reason. Like maybe there's reasons in your mind or even as you've prepared for it, you're like, yeah, I'm getting baptized today. I brought my towel and everything. But like there's still questions in your mind. Like, should I do this? What's going to happen to me? What's gonna, what am I going to go through? What am I gonna, what's it going to feel like? And all these questions start just whirring through your brain. 
And today I just want to give pause to all those questions and just say, well, why shouldn't you get baptized? I don't think there's a good reason. All of those questions going through your head, they're just distractions. They're not really good reasons. We just are really tentative about trying out new things, doing something uncomfortable, not sure if we're quite ready. But then just like we talked about in the offering, what are we doing? We're waiting for the clouds to be just right and the wind to be just right and everything has to be just right. And you know what? There's never a right time except the right time is now. The default should be action. Do. Why shouldn't you get baptized? There's no good reason. There's no good reason that would stop you from being baptized today, from saying, I'm going to leave my old life in the water and I'm going to come out new. I'm going to leave my old self and bury it in that water and come out washed, clean. It's a picture. It's a picture of what Jesus did when he washes with his blood and cleanses with his blood. One of the, one of the reasons why water baptism is so significant to me is because it can, I can always point to that moment whenever the enemy is coming at me with guilt. Whenever the enemy is coming at me with accusation, and you messed up, and you did this, and you did that, you know what? I did, but I've been washed clean. And I can point to that moment as a defining moment in my life where I laid my old self in the water, and the accusations of the enemy have no more bearing. Jesus didn't say I'd get out of that water perfect. But he said that I'd come out of that water washed clean and that any time that I needed to, I could ask for forgiveness and be washed clean just like that water. And that's what it means to me. This is an opportunity for you to silence the voice of the enemy, to silence the voice of guilt, to silence the pain of your past and leave it in the water. And you will always be able to look back on this day and say, no, 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 devil. I was baptized. I left my old self in the water. That's not me anymore. Maybe even the way that I'm acting right now, it's uncalled for. It's not the way I want to be, but I left that self in the water. That This is not who I want to be. I want to be somebody new. So look, there's some water. Why shouldn't you be baptized? And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. I don't know what the Spirit of God is going to do. You're probably going to see me again. And again and again and again, you're stuck with me. But I believe that the Spirit of God is going to be active when we step outside. I believe he's already been active in stirring some things in your heart and mind, even as I'm talking. But when we step outside and some of you, we one by one step into the water, I believe that the Spirit of God is going to come upon you in a fresh new way. And things that you might, like, you might not expect could happen. And some of you might feel yourself shaking and trembling a little bit. And I just want you to know that that's okay. Sometimes the way the Spirit of God moves, it's almost like this overwhelming flutter, this overwhelming sensation, and the human body can't handle it. It's like it's so overstimulated and excited. And so if, if you find yourself trembling or anything like that, I promise I will not let you drown in the water. You're not having a seizure. 
If you see somebody else shaking in the water, they're not having a seizure. They're getting touched by the Spirit of God. Some of you in this room, maybe there's a healing in your body, a healing in your mind that needs to take place. And when you get dunked in that water, maybe you will come out healed and whole. I've seen that happen too. Some of you, I might be led to prophesy over and speak over your new life in Christ. I might declare something over your life. I might prophesy something. Maybe be ready for that. Maybe be expecting something like that. But I am expecting the Spirit of God to move. And He's not going to move the same way over each of you. And you don't have to do a specific thing. Okay, I'm not asking you to conjure things up or fake things. I'm just asking you to prepare your heart and your mind to be ready and let God touch your life. So would you stand with me today? Thank you for listening today. Now it's time to put your faith into action by applying this word to your life. If you'd like help taking your next steps with Jesus, contact us at revivechicago.church.